Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Church, so good to see you out tonight. I'm really looking forward to being able to preach tonight and continue on with our series, Seven. If you haven't been here before and you're looking at me a bit strange going, seven? What's seven? Well, we find in the book of Revelation a series of seven letters written to seven different churches. And so we're continuing our series, this is the third part, where we're looking at the different letters written to the different churches. And we're doing it with a theme of we're trying to look at it from a position of faith. Because the reality is, is that we've been living in very uncertain times. Things have been a little bit crazy. And yet at the same time, we can have an unwavering faith, even in these uncertain times, provided we keep our priorities right. Provided we stay in faith. And as I said, this is the third part We started off by looking at the church in Ephesus and and looking at having a loving faith. This morning, Pastor Tony continued by looking at the church in Smyrna. There's a good name for you, hey? Smyrna. And we were talking about having a tested faith. And tonight, we're going to have a look at the church in Pergamum. There's another good name for you, hey? Who's grateful that they live in Adelaide and not Smyrna or Pergamum. Tonight we're going to have a look at the church in Pergamum and we're going to have a look at what it is to have a pure faith. So let me give you a little bit of context. The church in Pergamum is actually the northernmost church of the seven that had letters written to them. So, so far we've been heading north. We went to Ephesus, to Smyrna and to Pergamum. So we're heading north, approximately 70 miles north of Smyrna. Now, if you think about that for a moment, 70 miles without a car, that's a long time on foot. That's a sore butt on a donkey. And yet these letters are touring the nation. Smyrna is actually found, the ruins are are still, uh, you can go visit them today. It's actually a popular tourist attraction even today in modern day Turkey. There's a lot of artefacts located in a museum in Berlin. You can actually go and see some of what was held in the temples at the time that this letter was written. Smyrna was actually known for its education. It had a large library that was said to rival the libraries of the world at the time. New ideas came out of Pergamum. People would travel to Pergamum to study. And so therefore it made it quite a multicultural city. Pergamum was actually also known for its pagan temples. Now, most common in Pergamum were the temples to the Caesars. So the Caesars of the time declared themselves to be gods and then decreed, not suggested, commanded that the people worship them. 
And so Pergamum had a number of temples set up specifically to the Caesars. Beyond that, the god that they worshipped most was Asclepius. And I've probably got that wrong, but that's okay. Asclepius, maybe. But he was actually known as the god of healing. And so people would actually come to Pergamum not only for the education, but also to visit the temples for healing. The actual image of Asclepius is actually a staff with a snake wrapped around it. And if you go to many modern-day doctors, you will see a similar image even now. The temples of Asclepius were actually said to contain snakes. And if you were looking for healing, you would go and lie down in the temple... And you were considered to be healed if the snakes slithered over you. You think you've got a hard time inviting people to church now? (laughs) Try, hey, come along to where I worship and let the snakes slither over you. Hey, I grew up on a farm. The only good snake is a dead snake. And if I had to choose between life-threatening illness and lay down and let snakes crawl over me, it would be a hard choice. (laughs) Pergamum was a modern city in its day. Pergamum was a powerful city in its day. It was strategically positioned along sea and land trade routes. Pergamum was an educated city for its day. And Pergamum was known for its medicine and its healing. And so let's, with that context, have a look and see what Jesus says to the church in Pergamum. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. Sounds a bit creepy right there, doesn't it? I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Just imagine what it was like touring the country. You go to a town and there's that billboard out the front that says, hey, welcome. This is the home of Satan. Wow, bit weird, hey? Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So first of all, 
we see Jesus acknowledging the church. We see Jesus acknowledging that the church has faced some difficult times. We see Jesus saying, hey, not only has it been hard for you, but Satan actually lives in your town. We see that Jesus is referring not only to Satan himself, but also to the serpents that were in those temples. So what he's actually encouraging the church with is, hey, I know where you live. I know what's going on. Don't worry so much about the rest of the temples where devil worship is happening. He talks about Jesus recognises Antipas. Antipas was actually the bishop of Pergamum who was martyred for his faith. So a church living in desperate times, facing much opposition, much persecution, who have just lost their leader because they were executed. And then Jesus goes on to challenge the church. There are those that are holding to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. You know, I don't have time tonight to go into what those teachings actually were. If you want to know, and when you read Scripture, if you see something that you don't know, top tip, do a bit of research. Find out what they're actually talking about. And so if you want to know a little bit more about Balaam, head to Numbers 22 and you'll find a whole story there. But the bottom line is, because of the persecution that the church was facing, because they had just lost their leader, because they're living in a town known for its education, they were taking some of the beliefs that were popular at the time and trying to mix it with the beliefs of Jesus so that they could appear a little bit more palatable to the community that they were in. You see, the church in Pergamum was picking what to believe. You see, we want salvation, that's a given. But I also want to live the way I want to live. I want God's mercy. But I don't want to show mercy. I want God's love. But I don't want to be loving to everyone else. We're not talking about Pergamum anymore. We're actually talking about the biggest problem that faces Western Christianity right now. We get told so many things and it's hard to reconcile them sometimes with what we believe. And yet, what Jesus said to his church was have a pure faith. Stand firm church. Don't give up church. See, when we try and mix worldly wisdom with godly wisdom, we lose God. 
we, when we try and have a Christianity, part one foot in the world, one foot in the heavenlies. When we try and sit on the fence, what you get is splinters. And what Jesus is saying to the church is stay pure, church. Stay pure. Whatever is coming your way, stay pure. What Jesus said to the church in Pergamum, He says to the church in Adelaide, in victory right now, hey, I know where you live. I know the opposition that you're facing. Come on, church, stand firm, stay pure. Don't compromise today. We're being told that we're so advanced now that our science and that our technology and that our modern education, you actually don't need God anymore. Church, it's a lie. It's a lie. Stand firm. Stay pure. How do we keep an unwavering faith in God in the face of all of these teachings? Keep the Bible as your highest authority. Don't just read it, study it. When you study it and you find things you don't understand, not if, when you study it and find things you don't understand, do the research. Don't just take it as, oh, whatever, move on. Do the research. Keep the Bible as the highest authority. Take what you hear and measure it against Scripture. If it passes the Scripture test, you're okay. If it doesn't pass the Scripture test, reject it. And the Bible actually says do that of all preaching that you hear as well. If you hear preaching that doesn't line up, reject it. But if it does line up, then we need to take it on board whether we like it or not. For all of our advancements in science, technology, and education, there are so many questions that still remain unanswered. And tonight, in my remaining time, I want to look at just three. Three questions that for even all of our new teachings, for all of our education, they only find an answer in Scripture. The first question, where did we come from? You see, for all of our advancements, science cannot tell us how the universe came into existence. Some of you are looking puzzled right now. Some of you are looking at me going, hang on a sec, I was taught at school that that question had already been answered. Do you know what? I was too. But it's still a lie. It is still not true that science has all the answers. You see, how did the universe come into existence? If you want to take us from a science perspective, there are multiple theories out there. The most common is the Big Bang Theory. In a nutshell, just real brief, what the Big Bang Theory says is that the universe has been observed to be expanding. And so therefore, if you wind the clock back far enough, it all must have come back together at some point. And when you do that, what you find is that we get this 
infinitely dense, infinitely hot, infinitesimally small thing that our scientists call a singularity. Now, if you're looking at me confused right now going, what the heck is that? That's really good because no one knows. <laughs> and if you're really unsure about how nothing can actually contain something, this singularity, and you've got a little bit of time, Google up, Richard Dawkins defines nothing. Because literally in front of a live audience, a known atheist tries to tell everyone that nothing contains something, and he got laughed down. So we have this nothingness which actually contains something which is something that no one has ever seen. No one knows how it got there. No one knows what it actually even is. And right there, that makes the Big Bang Theory a faith position, not a science position. What does the biblical creation account tell us? You know what? The biblical creation account agrees that our universe is expanding. Did you know that? There's actually 10 references in the Old Testament where it says that God stretched out the heavens. Thousands of years before scientists observed that our universe was expanding, Scripture already told us that we were expanding. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. You know what? The biblical creation account and science agree right there. The universe had a beginning. The objection is at the very next word, God. How do you create a universe without a God? Well, that's what we're trying to explain. And it does not work. You see, the thing is, is that we have a faith position, biblical creation. We have a faith position, Big Bang Theory. Which one makes more sense? For me, the biblical position makes more sense, which means that if you want to believe in Big Bang, you're welcome to, but you have to have more faith because it's less logical than the biblical account that's already there. You see, science cannot explain how we came into existence. Science cannot explain what's going on. Here's the issue. I used to be a maths teacher. I know some of you hate me right now. That, that's okay. When I was teaching senior school maths, if you had a complex problem and you made a mistake in the very first line. What happens? That mistake carries all the way through. The only way you can get from there to the right answer is by introducing another fudge factor, another mistake to correct the issue. If we don't get it right at the start, we can't get it right at the end. And so, church, keep pure. Keep a pure faith 
because the answers we have in Scripture make more sense than any of the answers that we're given outside of Scripture. Stand firm. Second question, why are we here? Biology actually has part of the answer. When two people love each other very much and sperm meets egg, we have part of the answer. But beyond that, science offers us nothing. Beyond that, the best we can hope for is we're here by random chance and coincidence. And so because we're here by random chance and coincidence, let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Because life has no meaning. You see, this is an answer. Why are we here? The answer can only be found in Scripture. And Scripture is rich with why you are here. Genesis 1.26 then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Why are you here? Because you are an image bearer of God. You are here to reflect His glory. You are here to reflect His goodness. You are here to reflect every attribute that He has to this dying, hurting world that needs it so much. Come on, why are we here? Because we're image bearers. Not only were we created to reflect God, we were created for relationship with God. Genesis reveals that God would walk with Adam in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. How, how cool would that be, hey? Literally, perfection created on earth, hanging out with my mate Jesus. We may have lost the perfection, but you can still hang out with my friend Jesus today. Why are we here? We're here because God chose us to be here. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. God chose for you to be right here, right now, at this time. You may have been an accident to your parents. You're not an accident to God. God wants you here right now because He has a job for you to do that only you can fulfill. We're here because God chose us to be here. Do you know what? That should give you a confidence. That should mean that, you know what? I don't have to stress about a whole heap of things because my father said, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The job that God has placed you here for is to save the world. Now, 
that sounds really daunting. I can't save the world. Maybe not, but you can help with yours. You see, every single one of us has a sphere of influence. And God's job for you is to use your sphere of influence for good. To help point people to Jesus. Why am I here? Because God planted me here and he gave me a job to do. He loves me. He wants me to help other people find him. Church, keep a pure faith. Keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not get distracted by other teachings that don't line up with Scripture. Keep a pure faith because you cannot find an answer to why am I here outside of Scripture. Third and last question tonight. Where are we going? Where are we going? What happens when we die? If you're looking for an answer from modern education, science or technology, really there's only one answer that can be given. Annihilationism. And if you think the word sounds bad, that's because it actually is bad. Annihilationism. When you're dead, you're dead. When you're dead, there's nothing else. When you're dead, you're just pushing up daisies. Do you know what? I think that right here is why we struggle so much with what is my purpose now. Because if there's nothing beyond the grave, if there's nothing beyond this life, then does it really matter what I do here and now? No. And yet, it's only the religions of the world that give us a glimpse into what can happen beyond death. Most religions have some version of heaven or hell. All religions that have that version, bar Christianity, require me, require you to do good and to be good. And the problem that we have is that we have no standard. How good is good? How good do I have to be? Just like we've found in this COVID season, does heaven have a limited number of places? And if I'm good enough to get there, does that mean that maybe my wife can't? Let's face it. My wife would make it before me. <laughs> it's only Scripture that shows a loving God. It is only the Bible that shows a God who will step into our place. It's only the Bible that says, you know what, as good as you want to be, you're not good enough. And it's only the Bible, it's only Jesus himself that came to make a way available for me and available for you. Science, technology, modern education, they're good, but they can't answer the question. 
Keep a pure faith. In Hebrews 9, verses 27 to 28, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Where are we going? Every single one of us, one day, is going to stand before Jesus himself. Where are we going? Every single person that has accepted Jesus when they face him, when they've taken that free gift of salvation that's on offer to everyone, we will be welcomed into God's home, what we would call heaven. Where are we going if you haven't accepted the free gift that's already there? Then Jesus into eternity is going to give you your wish. If you haven't chosen to accept that gift now, then he will allow you to live away from him forever. It's what we would call hell. It's not Jesus sending anyone there. It's actually Jesus giving you your wish. The choice is yours. Will you accept the free gift of salvation that's on the table right now? Or are you going to say, nah, not for me? Choice is yours. But the choice is now. You can only make this choice while there's still breath in your body. So make a good one. Make a good choice. Can I encourage you? Accept the gift of salvation that is on offer to you today because it's not on offer from any other source. In conclusion tonight, it's actually only the Bible that can fully answer the biggest questions of this life. Where did we come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Jesus' words to the church in Pergamum were effectively Christianity isn't pick and mix. You can't choose the bits you like and discard the bits you don't. And when you try to combine godly wisdom with worldly wisdom, you're putting yourself in the place of God. Instead, Jesus' words to the church in Pergamum, keep a pure faith. Don't compromise. And as an echo from some 2,000 years ago to the church in victory in Adelaide, keep a pure faith, church. Don't compromise because the answers to life are only found in Scripture. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.